Welcome everybody to the Keto Endurance Podcast. I am here with Jessica Tai. She is a NTP practitioner, nutrition therapist, therapy practitioner, and a wellness educator. Welcome, Jessica. Hi. So tell us, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, you said it. I'm an NTP, which is a nutritional therapy practitioner. I'm a keto educator, a wellness educator, but um, mostly talk about keto stuff, but I do wellness events in our city. I do have traveled a few times nationally to give wellness events, you know, talk at different wellness events. So that's kind of, that's what I like to do more than anything is kind of the teaching and educating part of things. I do nutritional coaching, but one-on-one, I'm kind of moving away a little bit from that. I've started doing more online classes and I'm finding that that's a really great way to get a lot of people in because the one-on-one is very time consuming and it's very restrictive in the amount of people that you can help. So so anyway, that's kind of me in a nutshell, I guess. (laughs) Thank you. Well, tell me how or tell the listeners how you found keto and um, why you felt it important to become an NTP nutrition therapy practitioner. Yeah. um, Well, I guess I kind of found keto. I kind of found it by mistake, to be honest. My son, I guess he's really responsible for it. My oldest, we have five. My oldest is about to turn 18. And a few years ago, I guess about three years ago now. So he's had a lot of, I won't go into all of his issues, but he's had a lot of medical issues since birth, really. He was born early and then it's just kind of, he had a lot of digestive issues and things and it's just kind of cascaded over the years. And we see a functional medicine practitioner and he had seen her just a few months earlier and just had some issues that he was trying to work through. Um, Again, mostly related to digestive issues. He is not celiac, but he is very gluten intolerant and has a lot of issues when he has gluten. So he was just kind of working through some of those things and came to me one day. I have always been interested in health and wellness and was a avid podcast listener had listened to several different podcasts and was always listening to them throughout the house. And I was doing a coaching program, health and wellness coaching program at that time. And he had come to me one day after listening to, I was listening to uh, one of Jimmy Moore's fasting talk podcasts. And he came up to me and he's like, mom, do you think maybe would you fast with me if I did a fast? And I was like, um, I guess I was started listening to the podcast, but I hadn't actually ever fasted before. So I was trying to get more information on that and try to understand this was way back at least three years ago. And the whole fasting thing I know is big now, but then nobody was really talking about it other than Jimmy. And so I said, yeah, sure. I'll do it with you. So we had made a, we made a commitment. We were going to do a three day fast together. And he lasted one of those days (laughs) and I continued on. I thought, well, I'm just going to go ahead and finish it out. So I finished out the three day and then I thought, well, I feel so good right now. And I was paleo at the time, but I felt so good. And I thought, you know, I think I'm going to give this whole keto thing a try because I had been listening to to Jimmy talk about the whole keto thing in that podcast. And so I just kind of continued on. So it was really my son you know, kind of spurring me to do something for his health and then just kind of snowballed for me. And uh, I haven't looked back since. So that was about three years ago. Oh, awesome. Has what you've learned able to help your son? Yeah, if he'd listen. (laughs) Um, Isn't that the big caveat? 
Yeah, it is. Um, with clients, kids, it doesn't matter. It's all the same. Myself, it's like yeah. sometimes we know what we need to do, but we just don't do it. And my son, it's like he tries. He knows. I'm planting the seeds, you know, and, and he knows. So after that um, kind of incident, I kind of just started learning more and more and more. I didn't answer your question about the NTP. I did decide to go ahead and, and I wanted more formal schooling. So I had researched different places that I could do that. There are all kinds of different routes that you can go. I knew I didn't want to do the dietitian route, the registered dietitian, because I didn't want to have to follow those rules and regulations um, as set forth by the USDA. Didn't want to have any part of that. So then I was like, okay, well, what else do I do? What is something that I can do? Looked into the NTP. NTA, which is the Nutritional Therapy Association, loved that program, thought it was phenomenal. I'd actually talked to a registered dietitian who was also an NTP, and she's like, listen, I learned way more in the NTP program. So I thought, okay, that's it. I'm going to do it. So went ahead and went through with that. But then, so fast forward to what we were just talking about here. Um, so my son and trying to get him to do it, he's seen me go through the schooling. You know, I'm playing podcasts or my you know, my, my lectures all the time, they were listening to them in the house as I was going through all of that. So the seeds are planted, he knows, and he understands a lot more about nutrition than what he implements in his life. But he's also a 17 year old kid who, you know, I probably wouldn't have followed these things at 17 years old either. You know, I was eating junk and running around with my friends and he's told me numerous times, I mean, just dealing with the gluten thing that he has to deal with, that it's so hard for him. Like he'll go out with his buddies to eat and, and they're all like having all this stuff and he's more limited on what he can eat. And so just for him trying to not feel weird or like the outsider, you know, so I don't push that. I just plant the seeds. He knows how I feel about things. You know, I cook what I cook at home. And when he eats dinner with us, that's what he's going to eat. And so he's okay with that. But I'm just hoping that when he gets a little bit older and he's understanding, you know, what we know now at our ages, that maybe he'll catch on to that a little bit earlier than uh, some of yeah. us did. <laughs> and I think that, yeah, I love your points. And I do have, I have a 25-year-old and a 21-year-old son. And I didn't know as much. It took me longer to catch on because mm -hmm. I, you know, we all grew up in the low fat oh, yeah. food pyramid <laughs> age. My 21 year old is a lot stricter about his diet and more concerned than my 25 year old, but both of them know what a better choice would be. Yes. I mean, all we can do is, all we can do is plant the seeds. I think I talk about this a lot, but um, I really think that if we try to force it, kids, number one, at this age, they probably, Right. right. And they, and we're probably the people they listen to the, the least right now. Right. right. I mean, it's that like 15 or 16 to about 25, especially for boys, like forget it. We're yeah. on the bottom of the totem pole. <laughs> Although I had to say my youngest was in college in uh, New Mexico and he has roommates and somebody had purchased margarine instead of butter. And my son was like, no way. And his roommate said, well, let's just use it until it's gone. Then we'll get butter. My son's like, no way. <laughs> threw it in the trash. He goes, Mom, I threw that butter in the or that margarine in the trash. I'm like, good answer, Ethan. Yes. And they recognize like people who eat well uh poorly, how there's negative consequences associated with that. At least they understand those food choices. Mm -hmm. And that as they get older and mature, 
and become more responsible, they're able to make better decisions. Yeah. And I think that, you know, those things are going to, like you said, with your son and the margarine, those things are going to come up and they're going to realize like at some point you hope that we are not so crazy and that like, oh, hey, maybe mom knew what she was talking about. And I also think this is kind of an interesting, so we just did, we just had a couple of weeks of back-to-back vacations. We did a family camp with all of our kids. And then we just went on a like a family reunion of sorts, doing like a houseboat trip with some extended cousins and families and grandmas and grandpas. And it was this really cool um, trip with a couple of houseboats and all the cousins together. And the interesting thing on both of those trips was the mealtime. And especially on the houseboat, we were all responsible for certain uh, meals throughout the week and what we prepared. And um, my kids, including my oldest that we're talking about, did come up to me individually, all but one of them, and was like, Mom, your food is so good. And some of the other food I don't like. (laughs) And they were like, you know, like, I think it's, you know, sometimes they just get used to what they're used to at home. And then, you know, they hear me like, oh, this is what you need to eat. You have to eat real butter and you need to eat this and, you know, don't eat that junk and, you know, whatever. And then they're just like, whatever, mom. But then when they are faced with the way other people are cooking on like our houseboat trip with margarine, for instance, and that type of thing, then they're like, oh, this doesn't even taste good. Like the food, like your food is so much better and they can't put it into words, but there is when you are cooking with real food and food that's prepared correctly and and grown correctly and all that kind of stuff there is a richness and just a flavor profile that you can't get in boxed food or food that's just inferior right right it's a, there's just a difference with quality i think yeah. part of the problem is when people eat junk food those foods are engineered to be addictive mm-hmm. so when you eat them it messes with your brain and it messes with your palate. So you don't actually even know what things are supposed to taste like. I totally agree with that. Yeah. I think that's a big deal. It's a big issue. And that's, that is kind of an issue that I have with my older boys, my teenage boys is kind of getting them away from that hyper palatable. I mean, that's, they make it that way. That's what they do. They, it's engineered that way. And so getting them away from that and eating real food, that's a struggle. But at least they yeah. do recognize that my food tastes good. <laughs> they are yeah. given other options. I'll take it. I'll take that one little thing. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about some of the things that you talked about on the low-carb cruise was about digestion and digestive enzymes. And so even though getting past the mouth where you taste things, but once it gets to the stomach, know how it can make a big difference in how people feel and how their bodies process the food. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is huge on keto. Um, This is something that I'm kind of like always preaching about. So digestion is foundational. If our digestion is not working properly, everything else is going to be off. We're going to have multiple systems that are, that kind of go awry because digestion is it's the foundation. It's the starting point. We have to be able to get the nutrients out of our food to be able to fuel our bodies. And if you're trying to be keto, for instance, and you're coming from like a standard American diet or, you know, realistically, even paleo, if you're coming from even something like that, which is certainly way better than the standard American diet, but is significantly lower in fat than a ketogenic diet, 
And then you just jump into keto and you're like, oh, this is great. I'm going to do keto now and it's going to be super. If you don't have good HCL, which is your stomach, your hydrochloric acid levels, if you don't have good HCL levels, you're not going to be digesting the protein properly. And if you don't have good bile flow, then you're not going to be able to emulsify that fat. And that is I know when I had you on my podcast, we were talking about how you were having digestive issues. And one of those issues that can come from not having good bile flow is diarrhea because yeah. you're not able to digest those fats. And so your body, um, some of that's going to get reabsorbed and stored, but then some of it's going to be, it's going to eliminate it. So digestion's huge. Protein, like you said, we'll chew the food and um, most carbohydrates are broken down in our mouth as we chew them. So we have a salivary amylase in our mouth that's going to break that down. And then we're going to swallow the food and that is now called bolus. That bolus goes into our stomach and in our stomach is where the majority of protein digestion happens. And this is where people will say, you know, they'll get heartburn or whatever. And then they think, oh, okay, well then I must not have, uh, I have too much acid because my you know, I, I get heartburn every time I eat or um, this indigestion feeling. And that is typically actually low stomach acid. And the reason it doesn't seem to make sense, it's kind of counterintuitive. And especially if you talk to your doctor, pretty much any doctor, unless they're up on current science, and most of them are not because they just don't have time to be. I want to state something too, so that people understand Doctors get continuing education, but most of the continuing education that they get is presented and given to them from the drug companies. And the continuing education that they get is specifically geared toward those drugs and or surgical procedures. So they're not getting continuing education on how your digestion works or your stomach acid content, you know, or they don't get any kind of continuing ed on that. So for a doctor to become more in the know about nutrition or digestion or any of those types of things, they would have to be taking time outside of the already very busy, hectic schedule that they have to learn those things. And most doctors just, they just can't, they just don't right. have to. And Dr. Barry just wrote a book on it called Lies, My Doctor Told yeah. Me. That's a good resource. If you yeah. or you, someone you love that has a question about nutrition and the advice your doctor gives you, that's a good resource. It's a very good resource. That's a great, great thing to put in there for people to be able to go out and read because a lot of the things that, that even I'm talking about now and that you're thinking about as you're doing this kind of keto lifestyle is things that he talks about in that book. And one of the other things he talks about is this kind of white coat syndrome. And that is, so why I'm bringing up the doctor is people, if your doctor says something, most people are like, oh, okay, that's it. That's fact. My doctor said it. He knows everything because we have this kind of white coat syndrome. If he's got a white coat on, he is like second to God. Like he knows everything and whatever he says, I'm going to follow it. And I think we need to remember that your doctor, your nutritionist, your coach, you know, whatever, we're all employees of our client. So right. you don't need to go into the doctor and whatever they say is like, oh, okay, I'm just going to follow whatever you say. Like he's employed by you or she's employed by you. So if something doesn't sound right, or if they've told you to do something and you're doing it and nothing's getting better, you have every right to question that or to say, you know, Hey doctor, this, this doesn't seem to be right. Like things are worse or things aren't getting better. Can, are you sure that this is what it is or start doing the research on your own, you know, be be as knowledgeable as you can about these things. But this is one of the huge things that I see is this hydrochloric acid issue. And it is what 
really starts a cascade for all kinds of other digestive problems because people will be, and this actually started a lot of my son's issues. So as a baby, he was put on Zantac and he was put on Zantac. Yeah. And and he was on Zantac for like a year as a baby. Well, I think about all the things that I did wrong as a parent and I cringe and I'm sure that that's how you feel like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that to my child. I feel those, that pain. Yeah. I didn't know. And, but I, what I want to do now is help other mothers and parents to understand that there are some of us that have gone through this before and you don't have to go through it. Your child doesn't have to go through it. You know, our medical system is phenomenal for acute care, for emergency care, for if you're in a car accident or you fall off, uh, fall out of a tree. Perfect. There are so many, I mean, we, it's second to none, right? Right. But when it comes to preventative care, it's non-existent. I mean, we literally, our doctors are not trained in any way, shape or form of preventative care. It's systematic symptom treatment. I mean, that's it. They can prescribe you pills or do a surgery and that are open. Yes. That's it. I agree. So this Zantac was prescribed to my son because they said that he was spitting up a lot because he had... Now, remember, he was born prematurely, so we thought, this is what the doctor told us, and it made sense to me. I thought, okay, they said that his esophageal sphincter had not developed properly, and so he had too much stomach acid, and uh, it was burning his throat and causing him to have all the spit up all the time. I mean, he could not, every time that he would eat or you know, have any breast milk, every time he would nurse, he would, I mean, projectile vomit. And so I thought, okay, well, that makes sense, I guess. So I did it. And, and I think the doctor was partially correct. I think that pro- probably his esophageal sphincter was not properly developed, but it didn't have anything to do with him having too much stomach acid. Like, that, first of all, that's insane. So he was just born, like, it doesn't make any sense now that I think about it, but it has also opened up the gateway for him as he's gotten older. When you don't have enough stomach acid, your stomach acid is like the gate to your body, to things getting in. So parasites and bacteria and foodborne illness, all these types of things get in. And if they get to the stomach acid, that's going to done. Like they're not going to get any further. But if you're repressing that stomach acid and you're keeping the pH at a much higher level where it's not that big of a deal, it's much more alkaline, then these things can get in. And that is essentially what has happened to my son over the years. And it's what happened is now happening to a lot of Americans because a lot of us are on PPIs and acid reducers, acid blockers, versus we actually have the opposite problem. So the reason that we're experiencing this heartburn and it is from low stomach acid is the esophageal sphincter actually needs a very specific pH level to close. So after you eat, your food goes into your stomach and this acid that's in your stomach is going to then give the signal that the pH levels are correct, it's digesting and your esophageal sphincter closes. When your acid levels are not high enough, that trigger never happens. And so that flap essentially stays open. And that is when whatever little bit of stomach acid you have will bubble back up. Your hydrochloric acid in your stomach, if you were to drip it on the carpet, it would burn a hole, not just through your carpet, but through your subfloor. So that is like how acidic it is. So, you know, I've had the question before, well, if I have such low stomach acid, why would that make any difference? Why would I feel the burning of my esophagus? Like if it's low, 
the reason you'll still feel it is because of is because even when it's low, it's still very acidic compared to most things. And your esophagus, as well as your intestines, are made of protein, and that is what it is made to digest. So if that gets up into your esophagus, yeah, that's going to create burning and all kinds of damage and irritation. It's a delicate process. Um, there are some things that we need to do to be able to fix, you know, like hydrochloric acid without going into all the details. You know, some of the things that we can do to keep it from happening is just to eat real food, kind of like we were talking about when you were on my podcast. I mean, that is really the answer to a lot of people's problems. And we eat all this packaged food and a lot of sugar and a lot of carbohydrates and those types of things. And then our stomach acid naturally starts to deplete because it's the whole, you don't use it, you lose it. And that is very true. It's the same thing with bile flow. You know, we get kind of stagnant flow of bile because we are low fat, no fat. So we don't have any fat coming in and our gallbladder is never releasing the bile. So it just sits there and becomes stagnant. We end up with gallstones. There's all these types of things. So it's a vicious circle, a vicious cycle because we, we get the low stomach acid. Once we realize this has happened, then we say, okay, well, I need to fix it. Well, I need zinc and I need these B vitamins and I need these things to be able to produce stomach acid. But now you can't break down your food well anymore. So now you can't even get those things out of your food to be able to produce the stomach acid. So it's just like this continual cycle that's no fun. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about why we need proteins and fats for a healthy body? So I think that something, you know, we talked about digestion, but what is the stomach acid and the bile are helping our bodies break down fats and proteins, which have the precursor of our hormones and that sort of leads to good or bad aging or health in general. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So proteins are broken down into amino acids and fats are broken down into our fatty acids. And these are the precursors, like you said, for hormones, every hormone that our body makes. So whether it's, you know, our hormones like cortisol and adrenaline, noradrenaline or epinephrine and, and norepinephrine, um, or we have like our sex hormones, So if we're not able to break down these foods into usable, these usable substances for our bodies, like the amino acids and the fatty acids, then we cannot produce, we cannot build proper hormones. We can't build proper cells. Our cell membranes are made up of fat. So if you're bringing in and other substances, but largely fat. So if you're eating like rancid fats or oxidized fats, like vegetable oils and things like that from either packaged food or fast foods, those types of things, that is essentially what is going to make up your cells, your cell membranes. And your cell membranes is how your cell gets energy in. It's how it gets toxins out. It's how they talk cell to cell to each other. It's so complicated. And your body, because it has to have those substances, it will use whatever you put in there. So even if it's not ideal cells, it's like, okay, or ideal substances, it's like, all right, whatever, here's some fatty acids. They're not the ones I want to use, but that's fine. We're just going to use them anyway. And you're essentially building everything on these bad things that you're putting into your body. So you literally are what you eat. Can you talk about how long? So let's talk about someone adopts a ketogenic diet and then they're um, not getting the optimal results that they would like. And like we talked about, maybe and discuss a little bit, like we talked about on your podcast about pondgers, cats, generational differences, how we all have, like, it's an individual, we're all on an individual journey. Yeah. So I think for everybody, it's different. Like you said, um, when you start a ketogenic diet or just eating real food, you know, I'm 
a nutritional therapy practitioner first and foremost. I eat low carb, high fat. I am not always in ketosis. I don't test like almost ever anymore for any reason. But, you know, I know kind of what I feel like and what feels good and that's how I eat. I definitely am fat fueled. But there's also, you can run on fat and not be in ketosis. So that's a, an important thing for people to understand. But I think that just uh, starting this way of eating, if you just start like, well, I'm just going to keep my carbs really low, you know, and, and try to fuel myself with fat and protein. There are certain supplements that you can take depending on who you are and what things you're dealing with that can kind of help with this process. If you have digestive issues or you've got things like that going on that you need a little bit of supplementation, a little bit of help. But I mean, I think within a few weeks, you can start feeling tremendously better Digestive issues, I can tell you I've been working on my own digestive issues for better part of a year, year and a half. Those things don't heal overnight, and it's just a constant, you just have to kind of constantly be on top of it, and I'm not perfect, so I, so I knock myself back, you know, often I'll be like, oh yeah, that was stupid, why did I do that? So then I kind of have to just pick myself back up and start over. And it's important to understand when you are starting a new diet or lifestyle that the way somebody else is doing it is not necessarily the way that you're going to be able to do it or the way it's going to serve you better. The thought process that Stephanie was talking about with Pottinger's cats is you can Google that and kind of learn a little bit more about that if you're unfamiliar with Pottinger. But basically the gist of it is that Pottinger, actually his father worked for, I want to say this was done in the 20s, but I, I don't want to get the dates wrong. While you're talking, okay. I'll look it up. But his father worked for a, I believe it was an asylum or a mental hospital. And things were done very differently back then. So they could, they could do some experiments and things with people that, that we cannot do these today. So they were kind of experimenting with different diets and nutrition for how it affected like mental illnesses and things. And so that's kind of how Pottinger got started going down this realm. But what he ended up doing was he decided to take cats. So they were bringing in all these stray cats and they took these cats and they started feeding them. They fed them three different diets. So one of the cats, they gave them an all raw food diet, which would be more like the cat would eat in nature. Like this would be a raw meat, raw milk. Yeah. And it was 1932 to 1942. So he did a 10 year study on the cats. So, so yeah, so his dad, it would have been in the 20s then that he was watching his dad do kind of nutritional experimentation and was thinking, huh, I wonder if there's really something to this. Well, you can only take that so far with people. And so that's where he did this cat study, came up with being able to do it through cats. So he fed them uh, the one set got raw milk, raw meat. So this would be more of their natural diet. The next set, I think he fed them raw meat and then like condensed milk. And then the next set was like all processed milk and meat, like cooked meat, cooked food. Yeah, so there's the raw meat group, the cooked meat group. So I'm looking at a summary of his. um, Yeah, and it's, you know, when we did our training in the NTP, we went a lot deeper than probably what you're going to see on the internet, but you can get a pretty good idea of what the, uh, the gist of it. So basically what he ended up figuring out over this 10 year study is that the cats that were fed the natural diet, they were able to, they were prolific reproducers. They would have babies all the time. They, reproduction was not affected. They had great reflexes. 
they were beautiful, great, great fur and builds and their jaws and the way everything, their bones were formed was excellent. And then the next group had a little bit of degeneration in their ability to do things. Their um, a little bit more muscle, muscle weakness and their bones, their jaws didn't form exactly properly. They started having dental issues and their offspring you know, were not as good and, and so on and so forth. So as you went down the, the line, the more processed their diet, the worse their health was. But not only their health, he studied this for like three generations. It was worse and worse and worse every generation. Of well, they the became infertile eventually. So it's important to know that, you know, sometimes I think we can get frustrated because we want to start this new lifestyle. And I think, well, Stephanie Holbrook's doing it so awesome. I'm just going to do exactly what Stephanie is doing. And then I'm going to feel as good as she feels. And I'm going to be able to go out there and do Ironman. And this is going to be super. Just give me a meal plan, Stephanie, and I'm on it. But Stephanie's genetics are very different than my genetics. And I don't know what if we're looking at Pottinger's theory and his research, you know, I don't know what Stephanie's grandma and great grandma and great great grandma or grandpa, I don't know how they lived. And I don't know, you know, we're looking at a really good way to kind of see where this is playing out is, you know, my generation, Stephanie's generation, we grew up in the low fat, no fat. I mean, that's when it took hold. I mean, before the 50s, 60s, nobody talked about that. As a matter of fact, in the 60s, when this all started you know, started surfacing, you started hearing a little bit about this stuff. Our grandparents, they knew that starches made you fat. They knew that you didn't eat potatoes and bread and stuff unless you wanted to get fat. You would eat it very limited quantities. And then this flipped. And now people are saying, oh my gosh, it's no, it's the fat. It's low fat, all this stuff. So we're seeing this through our generations. I think my generation is where you're starting to see kind of the breakdown of how all of this started has began affecting us. But then my kids, I am seeing way more health genera- health issues in this generation. Like just look around you, think about the people that you know, how many more health problems, allergies, diabetes, obesity. Asthma. Um, yes. I mean, think autism, about yeah. now, school-age kids now, compared to the school-age kids when you were in school, that shows you Pottinger's theory right there. That's the generational effect. I graduated in 1987. And when I was in high school, there was a huge problem. Well, they they talked about childhood or teen pregnancy. It was a big issue in the news all the time. When's the last time you saw a news report on teenage pregnancy? I mean, and now there's all these news reports on infertility. I mean, there you go. Because I thought, you know, when I started seeing infertility clinics pop up. I'm like, well, that's weird because when I was in high school, you know, <laughs> right. You can like sneeze next to a guy and you're like, shoot, really? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, it's just that it's, right. you know, you see it in fertility and uh, Dr. Barry, I went to his book signing. He said, you know, be careful when you adopt this ketogenic diet because it makes you fertile. I have had more than a few women in their fifties who have found out they're pregnant and they thought they could not get pregnant because, you know, a lot of women can't get pregnant in their fifties or forties because of their diet. You know, they're going through infertility treatments. You know what? There's so many things that affect this. One of the things is what we were just talking about. The fact that, you know, if you're eating, first of all, if you're eating a processed diet, I don't know about you, but when I ate like that and trust me, I was like, I should have gotten awards for how wonderfully I ate 
processed diet, sugar, <laughs> carbs, everything packaged. I mean, seriously, I was an all-star. You know, I ate all that stuff. I mean, the amount of protein that I actually ate was probably pathetic. Because when you eat like that, that's all you want. You just want the processed carbs right. and the sugar. You don't have room for like, why do I want to waste my time eating a chicken breast when I could be eating a bowl of like Lucky Charms? I mean, I mean, seriously, like I was so addicted to all the sugar and the carbs. Like that's all I wanted to eat. So, but again, you're not getting the protein, but then once you do change your lifestyle and you start getting that stuff, you now you can't digest it. Now you're not able to digest the protein that you're trying to eat. So if you can't digest it or you're not eating it, you're not making good hormones, which include your sex hormones, which you need to be able to become pregnant. Or even want to have sex. Right. That true. Oh, that, you know, this is something, Stephanie, that, you know, this is probably not the time. We probably don't have time to go into it, but I so want to do an entire episode on sex on keto because yeah. it's so different for, especially for women, like just understanding that your sex drive is so repressed. Number one, your brain's not working properly. You, you're not producing the right amounts of serotonin. You're emotionally, most of us, and mentally, when we're on these high-carb, high-sugar diets, we're a wreck. And then we're not producing these hormones that make us want to have sex. I mean, like, right. we just don't. So that's like kind of a, like a big view of it. But if you dial down even deeper to understanding the issues behind infertility, when you can't produce bile, so bile is also a big part of our detoxification process. And many, many of us cannot detox anymore. Like we're a mess. We are, our livers can barely keep up with just enough to do what it has to do. Our livers have like over 500 processes that they, that they do for us, 500 jobs, right? One of the major ones is detoxification. There's phase one and phase two detox. And people think, well, I need on a detox plan or I need to take a detox drink. Or when we talk detox, they're thinking, uh, you know, it's a juice fast, something like that. But failing to understand that our livers are detoxing us all the time. They are constantly working at getting these chemicals out. And one of the substances that they use to do that is bile. They excrete bile. Our gallbladders will excrete bile. Our livers make it, but our gallbladders will store it. And when we don't have proper bile flow, because again, it goes back to diet, our diet's poor and then things get kind of gunked up. We're unable to produce that bile to get those chemicals and those things out of our body. Some of those things that we need to get out includes hormones. If we are not able to get those out, we will recycle those hormones. And that is particularly dangerous for women because we will recycle estrogen. Estrogen dominance is a huge issue right now. And I think it's not only all the plastics and these estrogenetic things that we've got in our environments that, you know, our body thinks it's estrogen. And so we have issues with these, but it's not just that. It's the fact that we cannot get the estrogen out of our bodies. And so it's recirculating. And when we have to recirculate that estrogen, now our estrogen levels are super high a lot of women's progesterone will raise to match those estrogen levels for a while. And so we don't even know we have high estrogen because our progesterone output matches it. But at some point, our bodies can't do it anymore. And when that progesterone starts coming back down and the estrogen stays high, we have all kinds of issues. You yeah. know, swollen, tender breasts, our periods, they're terrible. We'll have sporadic bleeding or very, very long periods of bleeding, terrible PMS, cramps. PCOS, 
these are all linked to higher estrogen levels. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a major issue. Yeah. And then people are like, I wonder why I can't get pregnant. But exactly. The, well, and I think, you know, going back to um, sex and sex drive, I think lack of sex drive is a canary in the coal mine that your body's not working properly yeah. because all animals and human beings are animals. Our purpose is to reproduce. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, all species, the goal is to reproduce. If right. we're not able to reproduce, that's a huge sign that there are really bad things going on in the yeah. body. Well, yeah, because if your body, you know, our bodies, I think a lot of people look at them as it's working against you and it's right. like, oh, it's not working right. And it's, it's messed up. No, it's not. It loves you. It wants you to stay alive. Like that is its number one goal is to keep you alive. Every so, metabolic process is designed to keep you alive. Yes. Right. So if you're, if it doesn't have what it needs and it's limping along to keep you alive, what in the world makes you think that it's going to prioritize fertility and producing another thing that now it has to keep alive, especially if you're a woman, it's right. just not going to happen. Right. It's like you're more likely to have all kinds of things like neural tube defects or all kinds of horrible things happening if, there, if you don't have the good hormone profile. I had a miscarriage in between both of my kids and I had gone to a naturopath. I was referred to her when I initially was having some hormone problems, which I didn't talk about my in when we were talking, but that's one of the things that was really messed up in me when I switched to a ketogenic diet was like I was a hormone mess. You know, I had no sex drive. I was on that same train. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I talk about, you know, all these people go to marriage counseling, like, oh, he doesn't love me. She doesn't love me. And it's like, well, no, I just don't feel like having sex. Yeah. So I just don't have the drive. There's nothing in me that wants to reproduce. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that really is important. If you're listening to this and you have no sex drive, that is a sign things are not working properly. Yes. That is a normal human response to other human beings is that to have a sex drive. It is. And I, that is definitely one of the things that I noticed pretty significantly improved for me after going keto was that kind of whole idea of I was always one of those that was like, well, I'll just, you know, I'm just going to do it because this is what I need to be doing. <laughs> this is what, you know, I should be doing. Like, I felt like I should have right. a sex drive. I love drive my and, husband and I want him yes, to feel good. Like, I love him and I, I want right. this for him, even though I'd right. be like, you know, whatever. I'm just totally uninterested. And what a shift when you're, you have the fats that your body needs and you're making the right protein or I mean the right hormones and, and your brain is working properly and your emotional, my emotional health is a hundred times better than it was three years ago. Like it's so much better. And that's a huge deal too. Like, you know, if you're feeling bad about yourself and you're depressed or anxious all the time, which I was, had, had a lot of depression and anxiety kind of issues. And that also is very, there is a, a huge correlation with hormones and, and those things happening. When you've got that kind of stuff going on, it's really hard to want <laughs> to engage in sex or have any kind of, I mean, it's hard to even want to go out and like have a fun night out because you just, you just don't feel good all the time. Yeah. I mean, yes, a hundred percent agree. And I've been there. And actually, since I, I just turned 50, my natural hormones have been changing. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I do not want to go there. So I actually have backed off my endurance training because my hormones were getting wonky. And I was like, I need to do some things to make sure I build those back up. And so I changed the way I trained. So I wouldn't, I could continue having my period because I started to skip periods because I'm at that age. And I was like, nope, I don't want to go there. <laughs> I, and that's why a lot of people are like, oh, I wish I would not have my period. Well, I had it when I was really broken. I had 18 months of no period. That's a really bad sign. If you don't have yeah. a period, then you're like pretty broken. So when my period came back and it wasn't regular for a while and it became regular, I was like, I want my period to last as long as I possibly can and keep it going because that means that my hormones are young. My mm-hmm. body is staying young. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's very important. And there's, you know, part of the um, kind of to go back a little bit to protein and fat and the digestion of that kind of thing. It's also important to, when we're talking about youth, to know that if you're not able to break down your protein, your body cannot use those amino acids, they're not readily available, you are going to start aging faster because you're going to have all this oxidative damage. Your body, one of the other things your liver will use for detox is amino acids. And if you don't get those amino acids in the right ratios and in the amount that your liver needs, because you've got to remember these amino acids are used for so many different things. You have all these different enzymatic processes, you're building cell membranes, you're building just all these different things that proteins are used for. They're also used to help your liver to be able to detox your body. And the most important part in that for aging is just knowing that if they don't have it, that this oxidative damage is going to happen at a much quicker rate for you. So you will appear to age faster. And I think uh, we kind of talked about this a little bit on my podcast. I know we keep going back to that, but like you said, you feel like you're aging in reverse. I feel exactly the same. I'm a few years younger than you. I'm, I'm 41, but I, at 41, I not only feel better, I look better than I did in 31. Oh, I mean, my skin is in better condition. I can't tell you how many times I meet people and there's like, you've been married how many years? you have how many kids? You know, my husband and I are celebrating, I should know this right off the top of my head, shouldn't I? 24 years. Yeah, it'll be oh, 24 years. Thank you. Um, this year. And you know, we have five kids and I'm not kidding you. I feel, as a matter of fact, I saved my high school prom dress. And about a year ago, a year and a half ago, maybe I pulled that out of my top of my closet. I just saw the box up there and I was like, Oh my gosh, my prom dress. I had not put that on or been able to put that on since high school and have to tell you, I think I've only tried, I only had tried like once because that's, that's depressing, but pulled that out of my closet and put it on and it fit better than it did when I was in high school. And that was at 40 years old or 39 years old or whatever. I guess I'm not saying that to like be braggy, but I'm just saying like when you get your nutrition right and you are eating the right things for your body, you're fueling it right. You're allowing these, and I still have many, many things to work on. I am by no means perfect, and I have a lot of things that are still not perfect, working perfectly. But when you get those things right and you're able to help your body through these processes, then you do start kind of aging backwards again. Like, you know, I I get frustrated when I hear, like, my girlfriends will say, I'm the youngest of our group. And so they'll always say to me, like, you know, most of them are in their late 40s, early 50s, and they'll be like, oh, yeah. 
yeah, you feel good now. You feel good now. And they've been saying this to me for 20 years, by the way. But they'll say, yeah, you feel good now. I know. I remember when I was 32. Oh, it's all downhill at 35. And then that didn't happen. So then, well, actually, I didn't feel a whole lot better than them at 35. But by 40, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, you feel great now. Just wait. 40, when you hit 40, everything's going to hit the fan, girl. You're in trouble. And then 40 came, and I was like, girls, I feel better than I've ever felt in my life. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, it really started deteriorating at about 41. And then 41 came and went, and I'm like, you know what? I still feel really good and I feel like I'm aging in reverse. And like, well, you just wait till 45. When you hit 45, I'm like, okay, when is this going to end? <laughs> and I think we know, I mean, I know some people who are follow a ketogenic whole foods diet who are in their 60s and 70s and 80s and still look really fabulous and yes. are pretty amazing. So I think that it's all relative, but if you give your body fuel you may not get to as good as you want you know sometimes we have unrealistic expectations given our genes and our past history yes. but you can become better than you were um, yes. yesterday and I think it's important to remember that and just know that aging is not like a sentence of I'm going to get fatter sicker I'm going to have more injuries. I'm going to hurt more. I'm going to look older. I'm going to, I mean, yes, we're all going to age. We're, but you can be somewhat in control of how quickly those things are happening right. to you. And it's, it's not a guaranteed sentence of like, this is how it's going to happen. And by this age, you know, you're going to be in menopause or by this age, you're going to need knee replacements or by this age, you're no longer going to be able to water ski or like whatever the thing right. is. Like, yes, genetics are going to play some role in that, but there's also the role of epigenetics and how are you going to let the environment that you are surrounded with, which includes your diet and lifestyle, how are you going to let that determine how your genetics are expressed? You know, how much assistance are you going to give your body at staying young, staying healthy, being able to combat some of these things that other people are having to deal with because you know, they're putting these kind of poison substances in their bodies every day. And you can only do that for so long and your body can only deal with it for so long before things are going to start breaking down. No, I agree. Well, Jessica, it's been great talking to you. Can you tell the audience where they can find you and any special programs that you have coming up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I have a website. Actually, I have two websites. <laughs> One is the easiest one to go to to get more information is jessicatai.com. So that's really easy. Just my name.com. And you can go there, um, kind of learn about different programs I have and stuff. I am starting um, more online classes. So you can go there. There's a link that'll take you to online classes that I offer. You can also go to there and get a, um, I have a free seven day kind of like a workbook to getting started in keto. So it's a seven day workbook that you can get for free. If you go to that page, you can click on the link. It'll shoot you over to the other website where you'll fill out your information. And then I'll send that over to you right now. Just mostly focusing on the online classes. I am available to be booked for educational seminars and that type of thing. I do talks, you know, corporate talks and I've done a few with sporting groups, high school and college sporting groups for nutrition, that type of thing. So yeah, that's kind of all I have going on right now. I do have a podcast. So um, if you want to check that out, it is Keto Lifestyle and you can find that anywhere that you can listen to podcasts. 
I do have a YouTube channel that is really actually pretty terrible, but I am working on doing better with that. I just hired somebody to help me with the YouTube channel because I am I hear it over and over and over again where people are like, I need you need to put out YouTube videos. I'm like, oh, I hate doing them. <laughs> I don't know. Hard. It's so hard. And that's not my area of expertise. You know, nutrition, wellness, lifestyle, that's it. Not this all of this um, whole marketing thing. So completely so different animal. Like I yes. just learning the marketing part is a lot less interesting <laughs> for me than learning more about nutrition and exactly. coaching and stuff like that but if we're not sharing it we're sort of keeping it from people to be able to feel yes. better and look better so um and perform better I know so I'm trying so I did hire somebody to do that for me because like you said I am busy you know continuing to dive into the information that people want to learn from me about so if I'm doing that I don't have time to also learn how to do all this YouTube stuff and then put it all on I've got somebody working on that. So you can look me up on YouTube, search my name, and you'll find the channel there. So and I'll put links in the show notes. That'll be great. And then you can find me on Instagram and Facebook. On Instagram, I am that keto blonde. And Facebook is facebook.com forward slash Jessica Tye Nutrition. Thank you so much, Jessica, for talking to me. I love talking to you about nutrition information. I think the sex information, sex hormone information is very important for people. And it's it's an area that it gets overlooked, but it's important to say like, you know, we're all connected and that's just part of the connectiveness that if the system is not working, that that's part of it. Yeah, I agree. I think that's great that you touched on that. And thank you so much for having me on. It was awesome. I love talking to you. I love talking to you too. So thank you.